Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your love and mercy toward us, and um, thank you for helping us make it halfway through another week, and we trust that you will protect us for the remainder of the week and provide for our needs, and we ask you to continue to bless the church that you built here and your people that are a part of it, and um, just continue to keep us faithful and to preaching the gospel, and uh, Lord, we ask you to bless the teaching tonight that we'd have ears to hear, and... Um, all those things that are on our hearts and minds, the people we've been praying about um, so faithfully, we continue to lift up to you, pray for those who do not know Christ around us, that they would hear the gospel, and um, Lord, that you would just continue to be glorified among your people, we know that you will be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, <clears throat> I want to share this with you as we start chapter 14 about saving faith. This is starting, I mentioned this several weeks back, I think. This is starting kind of a new little mini section within the confession. Um, what um, sometimes is referred to as um, looking at the covenant from a two-sided perspective. In other words, um, so far, like chapters 10 through 13, we've been seeing the covenant of, uh, of redemption, the covenant of grace really played out from God's perspective, right? We've looked at, um, uh, you know, things like effectual calling, justification, adoption, those things. So we've seen the covenant of grace, God's redeeming covenant from his perspective, and now kind of looking at the same covenant from the human perspective starts right now. In other words, how does this look from our standpoint? Um, and the responses that we give to the preceding things, right? So our responses, our responses to effectual calling and justification and adoption, right? So um, because there are responses, and we kind of talked about this a little bit in talking about sanctification, because we have to be careful not to give credence to what people say about us that, oh, y'all just believe, you know, we're a bunch of robots running around, we don't do nothing, God does everything, well, that's pretty true, but we do react accordingly. And I think that's the difference. Um, you know, I, I did another funeral today, uh, another hospice funeral, and um, two other brothers did most of the preaching. I, I, I didn't know I was actually preaching until about five minutes before it started, so my preaching was real short. But um, it it was all good. I knew I was going to be a part of it, but I didn't know I was doing that. Um but you know, and and they did share the gospel, but it always it just turns into this. You've got to let him in. You've got to. Uh, it wasn't even saying accepting. Uh, they kept saying uh, invite him. You've got to invite him. And this one guy, and I love this man. He's a he's a good brother and a good pastor. But he just kept saying, God will never force his way in. He will never make you do anything you don't want to. You know he's. You, you just if you hadn't invited him, you got to invite him. And I'm thinking, there's just no Bible for that, you know. But then it was he did um, turn right around and say, "But now if you're if you're born again and saved, it's all of grace and all of God and all of what Jesus did, you know." So nobody and even said about the lady who had passed, you know, if she's in heaven, and if she's in heaven, it's because of what Jesus did, not what she did. And it's so it's just so hard to sit there. <laughs> But uh, it wasn't, I think we've just, 
accidentally or somehow on the other side of this made these things that we want everybody to do because we can't handle the fact that God does everything and really what we do is a reaction to it, right? Because we can't, I can't really get up and preach the gospel and explain that very well because I do call people to faith. Hey, you got to believe because I believe, you know, John 1 does say receiving, but it equates it with believing. Believing is receiving. Receiving is believing. But I, I can't turn around and say something like God's not going to force himself, all these silly things. Because I'm thinking if I'm sitting here and I'm lost and I know what kind of life I'm living and how hellbound I am, and then the preacher's going to tell me, well, God's not going to really do anything to fix that. you got to fix it. There's not a lot of hope in that. And so I think it's important um, to to look at both sides because we do want to obey and obedience. I listened to uh, the podcast last week from, um, uh, I can't remember what, the, what it's called, not not the Pactum, but the other one. Um, what's the one? Theocast. And it was obedience is not a dirty word or something like that because they were talking about um, we don't we don't want to get too far we don't want to uh, only talk about sovereignty and never talk about responsibility because we do have responsibility. And like I mentioned um, last week in sanctification, God gives repentance, God gives faith, but it's not right for us to say, when I repent, it's not right for me to say, well, God repented. No, I repented. Now, God gave me repentance, but I repented. Um, and, and we know I didn't repent on my own free will. I repented because it was given to me to repent. But, so this is just kind of, I think the writers of our confession were very careful, and I think you see it in a lot of places throughout the confession where they they try to get back to, hey, um, human responsibility is, is important because the divine always takes priority, but the human part of it must not be neglected. I mean, um, so again, we... We preach the gospel and call people to faith and call people to repentance. And then we call people to action through the law, right? The third use of the law, we, we preach it to the church and say, hey, this is what God commands and what he demands. So you can't just sit there and say, well, whenever whenever um, God wants me to do something, he'll get me up out of my seat and make me do it. I mean, I think we, we have a, a, an accountability to the gospel and to the law of God to obey it. And yeah, we're not going to do it well, and we're going to fail at it, which pushes us back to Christ and keeps us right our eyes on Christ and not on ourselves. But anyways, so that's where this that's where this finds us. We're at this this section, um, and it's talking about saving faith. But what you're going to see is that even though the writers are talking about our responsibility, it's still just loaded down with the fact that God does all this right. I mean, they don't. Uh, they never want to be. They never want to be guilty of acting like humans or nothing but robots. But they're certainly not going to be guilty of not calling God's sovereignty what it is. In other words, they're going to point that out. And so, this is what section one, verse uh, chapter one, chapter fourteen, section one says: the grace of faith by which the elect are enabled to believe so that their souls are saved, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. Okay, so there again, they're making sure that we're going to talk about saving faith and how we act in faith and react. But you can see they're very clear that 
hey, this is a work of the Spirit of Christ in your heart. It's not something you're just going to drum up and do. And again, this would definitely separate us from Pelagians and Arminians um, because, um, and, and from a lot of other, you know, they're separating themselves from Catholics who um, would have taught, well, yeah, grace has already been given to you, enough grace. Now it's up to you to act on that grace and sort of, you know, do what's, do what's right um, because you have the ability now. And, of course, uh, Pelagianism pretty much taught that the fall really didn't destroy our ability to act and react and choose. And so we can still do that. And if you're not choosing, it's just your own fault, right? And and that's something else that we say this that a lot of people say it's just not right. Well, if anybody's in hell, it's not because of it had anything to do with God. You made that choice um, because hell wasn't made for people or whatever it is. People they say it's made for the devil and his angels. Well, I, again, I don't think you can prove that with the Bible because it don't say that. And I know what people are trying to say, but again, it's just wrong. And, and, and it's trying to, it's getting back to that, um, my brain is locked down today. Um, who's, who's the most famous Armenian? Oh. Finney. Charles Finney is what I was thinking about. You know, it gets to that Finneyism of, well, I, if I can just come up with some wild scenario, I can reason people to Jesus. If I just make more sense, if I make you think, well, why would you go to hell? That wasn't made for you. Choose Jesus because heaven was made for you or something like that. Or um, I was trying to think of something I saw this week, a sign. Or pretty emotional. Yeah, 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 right. And that's exactly what Finney did, you know, because Finney really believed that. I mean, I think he was, maybe he was a lawyer uh, and he believed that he could really, if I if I lay out a good enough argument, you know, any human in his right mind would choose Jesus and not the other. And sometimes for us, I mean, honestly, once we have Christ, we we look at that that way, don't we? Like, why would you not? How can you, why don't you believe this? You know, why would you not believe it? But again, we if we we know that the scriptures say they don't have eyes to see, they can't believe it, right? And so, you know. Our, our confession here is very clear even though they're going to be talking about saving faith and human response in faith hey this is totally a work of the spirit of Christ in our hearts and again I, I just I wish that you know I was thinking about those brothers today one of them was very old been preaching for years and years and years and years the other one not so about around my age you, you know I just wish you could have more confidence in the gospel and not have to put all this other stuff in there right just tell people who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, and um, Anyways, so it's the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. And then faith is ordinarily produced by the ministry of the Word. Now, we kind of had this discussion last week about sanctification. You know, the word, it's the Word of God that moves us to do, right, ultimately. And it's also the Word of God that saves i mean they're they they put in here romans 10 which is a perfect um romans 10 17 which is a perfect uh, verse to look at that um faith comes by hearing hearing through the word of god through the word of christ i mean uh and there again which is why in our circles we're so adamant about preaching you know why we in our in our forefathers and those who wrote this confession 
they were adamant. They really believed that the, the major work of God happened in the church. I mean, that's just what they believed. You know, they didn't, uh, they wouldn't have been in support of tent revivals and uh, evangelism crusades because I'm not saying they would have necessarily thought they were evil, but they just really believed that God does the most work that he does in the church. And, you know, with the church gathered preaching the gospel in um, not to say they would, again, they wouldn't be against evangelism. I'm not saying that. But, um, and I think that's why they're saying here, faith is ordinarily, and it kind of is, uh, by that word ordinarily, um, it's kind of like uh, what they mean by the ordinary means of grace. It's not ordinary like uh, ho-hum, but the the basic foundational things of like preaching and praying. In fact, they're going to go on and say this. By the same ministry and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed by God, faith is increased and strengthened. They, they love pointing out and keeping to the point that, hey, God does what he does through preaching. And preaching is why, it's why preaching has to be foundational and fundamental and constant. I saw, um, I think it was a Stephen Lawson quote today, something about how, you know, what the church, people are saying the church needs this, needs that. You know, the only thing the church needs is men who preach the word. And they faithfully preach it, and they constantly preach it, and they're not ashamed to preach it. And um, because, man, you know, you look around, it's turned into a lot of other things. I mean, church has become just mess. I hear it every day when I'm in facilities and there's different things on TV and I listen to what these guys are saying. It's not preaching. It's not the Word. It's just storytelling and analogies and uh, really just ramping up the human flesh and convincing everybody that there's nothing you can't do. And kind of, you know, what we refer to as self-help. That's kind of what it is. Um, and it's lack of confidence in the gospel. So so that section one is pretty powerful and it's laying the foundation um, for what comes next. Anybody want to say anything about that? Or I just think it's neat how it is that it keeps going back to the ordinary means. It's like these are, it's just nothing fancy. Like especially given the past years that we've had with like seeker-sensitive movements and um, what was it like uh, the one guy was like emergent church oh yeah and all that kind of stuff it's like we keep people keep going back to like how can we flavor it up how can we make it mm-hmm. this how can we make it that how can we draw people in by our services if it is just the how can we make Jesus famous yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, but it's like, like it's just the ordinary means, the things that God has given already. Not, yeah. It's, it's funny when people will ask about our church, and I try to explain, you know, it's hard in a few minutes to explain what a Reformed Baptist church is. Nobody knows. And if I talk about this confession, that's you can tell that's what people are like, what is that, just old-fashioned? I mean, why are y'all that in the old stuff? But, yeah, I think that's, and, you know, I don't think we're dead and boring and dull, but um, 
and it's not wrong to be excited, but yeah, the ordinary, and, and they keep using that word, the ordinary things are the, the, the base things, the preaching, the, the baptism, the supper, um, the praying, um, and even the other things, fellowship, and those things that, that again, is experienced and done in the church. And especially in this, not only the things you're saying, Sean, true, we're trying to ramp things up, but we're also doing this, um, trying to destroy that idea of the people of God gathering. You know, everything's, you can be a Christian out there where you are, on your own. You don't need the church. And people are always saying, yeah, I don't need the church. And they've always got an example of some guy that stole money or cheated on his wife or something. And it's like, yeah, but you don't understand. I, I think it's impossible to to grow and mature as a believer apart from the church. Because, again, this is God's means of doing that. And now, now, you know, if you're arrested and in prison, you can't, you're a, uh, somebody like uh, the guy who started um, Voice of the Martyrs and all that stuff, he's in prison because he's been preaching and he can't get out. Okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that God's going to supply some special grace there and he's going to be different. But if you're just, uh, I, you know, I don't need the church. I, I, I got me and my Bible, me and my God. The, the situation, though, is that uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the apostolic model uh, was the multiplication of churches. And basically what's, what's going on right now is, uh, uh, the books that I'm reading, uh, the uh, uh, I'm into uh, Operation China right now, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's a derivative of Operation World by uh, John Stone. Right. Uh, and basically, the situation is that uh, there are so many, there are so many completely unreached people groups out there. Uh, and basically, the the languages they broke that down in the introduction, uh, and basically what they were saying is that uh, uh, there are 500 uh, and um, over 500 uh, distinct languages where people can't understand what the I mean from from one place to the other they're not uh, cohesive. And so what happens is that uh, uh, we've still got a world war to do, but basically what right now what's going on is that uh, uh, if you believe in the science, and I do, uh, but basically the situation is you see the things coming to pass and you realize that basically what's going to happen is that Christ isn't going to come back until the Great Commission is fulfilled. Uh, and so what happens is that the, uh, the Great Commission, uh, if, if there is not, and I'm making the point that, you, that you're making, but basically the situation is that uh, uh, if there is not uh, a multiplication of churches, uh, and so the churches, I mean, it's key uh, to the fulfillment of God's mission down here. Right. Uh, and so the situation is to take the church for granted or to take the church lightly or to take the church uh, uh, as uh, an, an amendment 
right. uh, is wrong. Yeah. Uh, and basically, the situation is that uh, without the church, uh, we're not going to we're not going to fulfill uh, that great commission. It's got to be such that I mean, because the only people that can reach uh, some of those tribes over there are people that literally live next door to them, right? And basically, can can communicate the gospel. But basically, the situation is that. Uh, it's got to be organized into churches, and it's got to be uh, emphasized. Yeah, I agree. And, the, and there seems to be more of an emphasis on that than it used to be. There for a long time, you know, we were sending missionaries, people, churches were all over, but there was no goal for that. You know, it was just to kind of hang out with people and see if you could share the gospel and get some converts. But I believe you. I believe you're right in that. Multiplication of churches is the biblical evangelism plan. No, it, it's the first central mo- century model. Yeah, and that's what that's what I was trying to get to uh, mm-hmm. when when I did that Bible study methods. Uh, what I was trying to get to was uh, going into uh, the Book of Acts and going through the Acts model. Uh, but basically, we never got there. Yeah, well, it's funny um, that we're bringing that up because. Um, this book that I study from for this um, for this class from uh, Renahan, this um, it's just a commentary on the confession. He's talking about this fact that um, even our Baptist forefathers, the particular Baptists especially, they believe that because he's pointing out there's always this objection uh, that comes. Uh, this everybody's already already. Well, like this desert island, desert he calls it the desert island objection. And I'll, I'll just read this to you because it's kind of interesting about what we're talking about. So if two or three or more saints not being baptized were by some providence together in some island in another part of the world uh, where they exercise their talent and more and are converted to the Lord and they desire to know about the Lord, what course would they take about enjoying baptism or the ordinance or what advice would you give them? This is... Uh, this is a particular Baptist by the name of Henry Jesse from long ago. And this was his answer. In other words, because people would say, well, you believe that it always has to be a church and that these things, these ordinary means should be practiced in a church and you don't think just random people could do it somewhere. And this was his answer. So what if these people end up on an island? What would they do? There's no church there. He says... Um, first, these folks should believe that through the Scripture the Lord will be a light to them. Next, based on the promise that they that where two or three are gathered together, the Father will hear them. They should pray, expecting that the Lord will hear their prayer and answer. Third, they should believe that if they be gathered together in Christ's name, He will be in their midst. And finally, they should covenant together, forming a church. Then they may enjoy baptism with the water as well as all the other ordinances. So his answer was, even if they're on a desert island, what they need to do if they're saved, they need to they need to form a church. Right. And um, so I just I love that about our particular Baptist heritage because I mean, they were dead set on it. The church is the the answer, and um, you know, and I mean that was I, I, that was part of why we you know formed this church. We wanted to Amen, do that. Is and we haven't got there. Well, we haven't done exactly that. I guess we did send off a, an elder that we called out of this church, and he's at another church, and maybe they'll be able to do the same thing. But I would love to be able to 
we hope that one day if God will grow us and give us more elders, that that's what we could do is extend the church and maybe end up sending somebody who knows where and we can uh, but we don't want to just send people randomly out to be a missionary no. I mean I want them to be um, if you're going to be a missionary that means you're going to be either part of a church or you're ch- planning a church or you're going to go somewhere and help them plant their own churches I mean I do I do agree with that I think it's the only way to do it biblically so anyways um, let's read through the second section and I don't know if we can talk much more. By this faith, Christians believe to be true everything revealed in the Word, recognizing it as the authority of God Himself. Now, this is one of those things too that I, I'm always reminded about in apologetics. And I'm not I, apologetics fascinate me, but sometimes um, I worry about some of it because you can't. This is the way people are convinced that the Bible is true. First of all, they got to be Christians, you know. And once they are, the spirit within them will reveal to them uh, the authority of God himself through the word, and they'll believe the word to be true. And so that's why I love presuppositional apologetics. Hey, you know what? I believe this because the Bible says it. And either you'll believe that because of the same reason or you won't. You know, I'm not going to spend... Now, I'm thankful there are people who who do these things, um, like Answers in Genesis and... um, uh, CRI and those people that have that mind, they're scientists, and they can they can go toe-to-toe with them arguments. But at the end of the day, uh, it's God by his spirit through his word that's going to convince people that. And that's it. I mean, there is nothing else. Um, so it goes on to say, they also perceive that the word is more excellent than every other writing and everything else in the world because it displays the glory of God and his attributes, the excellence of Christ and his nature and offices, and the power of and fullness of the Holy Spirit in his activities and operations. So they are enabled to entrust their souls to the truth they believed. Now see here again, this is, I mean, this is salvation in it being lived out and brought to fruition, right? Because, and again, God does all this, but it still happens. You are enabled to entrust your soul to the truth believed. And, and this is what really growing in grace looks like. There's no, there's no st- magical steps to this this is a God inspired divinely orchestrated thing and it happens as you're around the the taught and preached word of God you know they respond differently according to the content of each particular passage obeying the commands trembling at the threatenings and embracing the promises of God for this life and the one to come but the principal acts of saving faith focus directly on Christ accepting receiving and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. So there again, kind of back to what we talked about at the very beginning, the principal acts of saving faith um, focus directly on Christ, accepting, receiving, and then resting on Him. And these are the things that we're, we're trying, we try so hard here to highlight, hey, the gospel, and then because of the gospel, yeah, there are some, there are some threatenings that we ought to tremble at because God's the real God. And, um, um, you know, what is it? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God or whatever the scriptures say. Of course, then we have that blessing as believers to rest because of our justification, sanctification, our adoption. Okay, I fear the tremblings, but I fear the trim, I, I, I tremble at the threatenings more because I believe them. 
And I believe that they're real for other people, right? I believe these threatenings that God is uttering in his word, I believe them more and more to be real and that hell is real and that suffering is real and eternal damnation is real. And so I want to preach the gospel and love people and see God bring people into his church more and more. I don't trifle. I don't take God lightly and I don't shake my fist in his face or what is it? I don't tempt him um, or whatever. I, I want I recognize he's God, but at the same time, I can rest in that. So, in other words, I don't think that means trembling at the threatenings is you wake up every day afraid of, oh, no, is God going to strike me today? Is God going to, you know, break my foot today because I I didn't do this and do that? Or is he going to take one of my kids because I did? You know, not that kind of threatening, but I think... It's proper to fear him because he's God. But also the threatenings, we know they're real. And we do know when God says something, it's true. And so we shouldn't take that lightly. And if he says it's better that you um, cut your hand off and enter heaven maimed rather than uh, going to hell with both hands or whatever, I mean, we ought to take that. We ought to take God his word. Hey, you know what? This is a serious thing. And so if there's some serious sin in my life, and I really wasn't naming it at you, sorry. I know. So that's all he was doing, being spiritual. Oh, okay. This hand wasn't doing right. Yeah. But no, you know, I think it's, um, and I'm trying to learn this myself because I've spent a lot of my life being afraid that, I, I was never pleasing God. He's never happy with, you know, Bob done something again. That, you know, and, I, and I'm one of those people that sometimes I look too much into things. Like, well, you know, I lost that or I, I lost that job because I, you know, I said a cuss word yesterday or I talked bad to my wife. So, you know, no wonder I stubbed my toe. You know, stupid things that I think are really silly because I do think that God wants us to rest in his grace. He is our, I mean, Christ is our Sabbath, and he's our rest and our hope and uh, abundant life. But he is God. And so, but these are the things we learn, and I think that's the point of this chapter. Hey, faith, this is what faith does. Faith is given by grace. You get uh, grace through faith is how you are born again, and that faith continues to grow. Like Like the gentleman prayed before Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know that's the, that's our life from here till till we get to eternity. I believe, help my unbelief, because I really do believe that anywhere, anytime there is sin, it's it's an area of unbelief because we chose to not believe God and we believed ourselves for the lie, just like in the garden. So um, ultimately, all disobedience and sin is just an uh, unbelief, and so well. I guess I got time to read it. Y'all got anything to say right there or questions? I'll finish up this last section because this kind of says what I just said. This faith may exist in varying degrees so that it may be either weak or strong. Yet even in its weakest form, it is different in kind or nature, like all other saving graces, from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. Now, when they say temporary believers, of course, that's not suggesting somebody was saved and they were lost. But kind of like the uh, the parable Jesus told of the seeds that sprung up for a while and 
or even uh, in Hebrews 6 that they believe that they seemed to believe and they tasted in all these things but then they fell away um, you know or what John said they were never of us if they would have been of us they would have never left us some left and that's because they never were they never were a part of us to begin with and that's what they mean here so um, and it's just saying hey no matter how weak your faith is um, it's still different because it's real saving faith and it's not it's different than the common grace that everybody receives every human has from God just because he's a gracious God and certainly different from those who rise up and fall away um, which highlights the another doctrine the, the perseverance of the saints which um, we believe to be true it matures oh, I'm, I skipped one uh, therefore faith may often be attacked and weakened but it gains the victory it matures in many to the point that they attain full assurance through Christ who is both the founder and perfecter of our faith the author and perfecter so that's a great hope Full assurance. And again, I think that full assurance is not, oh, great, I'm, I'm so sanctified I don't sin anymore. But the full assurance would be more like that maturity place to where, okay, yeah, there's a, you can see how God has really brought you great distances and given you great faith, but your trust and rest and assurance is totally in Christ and not in your, any of your abilities to do good or not do good. Um, because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's that I think that's the full assurance. When we get to that place where we totally trust God for every single thing because um, I feel like I'm more at times in the weakened and attacked uh, stage more than I'm at the victory part. But, um, you know, we just keep trusting and keep growing and keep uh, reading and, uh, and sitting under the word and trusting that... Um, Eventually, you know, God's going to keep growing us to a place that, a maturity and a place that we do have this full assurance of uh, in, through Christ um, for him being who he is. What else? What do y'all want to say about that? Anything? I like that just because, I mean, the diet that, you know, that I've heard most of the time leads you to believe that if you're not if you're not progressing to that super Christian status then you know maybe you need to check yourself you know maybe 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 you're not genuine maybe, maybe it's yes. not a real faith because you should be progressing you know it should be obvious you should be you should be more sanctified more holy and and this should be obvious and, and just apparent um, it never allows for the weak you know, the, the mm. mustard seed size faith. Right. And I think what this is pointing out is what scripture teaches is it's it's not it's not the degree of your faith, it's the presence of your faith. Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter how much faith, it's the question is do you have faith or not? Right. And that's it. It's a yes or no question. It's not a well on a scale of one to ten, you know, where are you? It, it it's nothing like that. It's just if you have just a drop of the, the fig tree. Right. You know, uh, some people have said that, you know, if Jesus would have came up and if it would have, that big old tree, if it had, had a single fig on there, he wouldn't have cursed it. If it had just had one little piece of fruit on it, 
He wouldn't have cursed the whole tree. Sort of like that. So if you have just a little speck of faith, right. that's enough for God to say, you know, yeah. you're mine. Because it's genuine. Right. Because he gave it. He gave it. He yeah. produced it. Well, and he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he has big, you know, right. he has... And unfortunately, most of the preaching like you're talking about and teaching has been, it's not just a, uh, it's not such an attack on the faith. It's more of, okay, since your faith is weak or you're not doing these things, let's go back to your decision. You Maybe you didn't really mean it. You know, Maybe you didn't do it earnestly enough. As opposed to what this teaches, and I believe what the Bible teaches, okay, so you're failing, so you've, you're... The, the light is dim. Go back to Christ. You know, don't go back to your decisions. And I think that's what the Bible does. Because when Paul calls, for example, the Galatians, why, why are you living this way? Or, or any, uh, when Peter's doing it, the same thing, the, it's always, this is who you are in Christ. Why are you doing that? It's never, obviously y'all didn't mean this. If you'd have meant it, if you'd really said a prayer and cried, you know, and that's the kind of stuff I've, I don't know about you, but I, that's the kind of stuff I've been raised around. You. Well, that's why you had so many rededications. Yes, rededication. And you asked multiple times because they're questioning if the previous one was real or not. Well, you got Yeah, that kind of stuff. Do you know one, you know, I've heard that. If you doubt one, if you got any doubt, then you're not safe. You know, one ounce of doubt is, is uh, enough, to enough to send you to hell. Yeah, and and you know, and again, that's just not the biblical thing. And and again, that's that's because we believe in, on that. That's the that's the semi-Pelagian side of you're you're the one doing this. It's you and God, and God's done His part. You're not doing your part very good. And I think the Bible in this this understanding of the scriptures can keeps pushing us back not to decisions not to you but push you back to Christ because he's the one that gave the faith and so I like that again that man when Jesus said do you believe Lord I believe but help now my unbelief because that's the place and that's where I think that assurance comes from that is talking about uh, that full assurance is full assurance in Christ not in what I've done or haven't done growing in the grace and knowledge yes that's right and, the, more um, you, the more you learn who he is, yes. the more confident you are in your position. Yes. Because you recognize he's not going to, mm-hmm. he can't lose you and he's not going to deny you. Yeah. And your sin and your confession and your repentance becomes more about, I, I see you and I don't know why I'm still doing this because of who you are. Yeah. And not, Lord, you know, I just can't do this. I, I'm weak. I mean, that's not a bad thing to say, but in other words, we need to go back to who he is and go from that rather than focusing on what we're not because obviously we're not much of anything or there wouldn't have been a Christ but that's why we have him so yeah and that's the faith that we've been given and it's a great faith and it will it will grow and become great um, and I think that's what the way we need to teach it hey um, if it's not if your faith is weak Clean to Christ and look to Him, and He's going to grow it. It's going to become stronger, right? All right. Anything else? A little bit. Almost on time.
We gotta rummage through some music again tonight. <laughs> see, see what we can do. Let me pray in this message. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy and grace, and thank you for faith, saving faith that not only brings us from uh, death to life, um, you regenerate us to life and give us faith to believe, but then you continue to strengthen our faith and give us more grace and more grace to believe more and more. And uh, what a glorious thing it is to look back and see the things that we used to doubt and the things that we've learned to believe because of who Christ is. And we look forward to the way that you'll continue to grow that in us. And um, just bless your church, we pray in Jesus' name.